Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. For a fresh new start MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone, this is Fran Lewis This is MJ Network, MJ in memory of my sister Marsha Joyce And my little icon on my phone, on my computer says It's going to rain <laughs> But that doesn't matter because Tess Gerenson is here with her new book, which I couldn't put down. Listen to me. The murder of Sophia Suarez is brutal. Why anyone would want to kill a popular nurse sets off a chain of events that goes back 19 years. Just who is Lily, a three-year-old kidnapped after her mother is killed? Angela Rizzoli, I love her, takes center stage this time. Welcome, Tess, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, thank you for inviting me. It'll be fun to talk about this particular book because it's kind of different from all the other Brazilian Isle stories. This book was one of my favorites, but I I love Angela. She reminds me of my mother because she has to get the word in and she's not going to tolerate it. Yes, you know, she she kind of represents a lot of our mothers, and that's that's why the story uh, came to me. It's just Angela started talking to me in my head, and I just thought, she's everyone's mother. Mm-hmm. She just wants to butt in, but she means well. <laughs> yeah, my mother did too, except if you didn't listen to her, you got the Ruthie look. Forget it. Angela's the same. So the first scene really got me. How did you create Amy, this interesting character? You know, um, Amy didn't. It, it. The way I work is that I don't always know where the story's going, and it, I started off just hearing Angela, um, knowing there was a, a, a mystery in her neighborhood, and I didn't know where the mystery was going. So that scene with Amy was probably one of the last scenes I ever wrote. Or it's it's odd, but that's that's how the opening came to me at the very end. It was interesting. So you made Angela the center of one plot. Why is she so worried about Jane and she's losing sleep? Sounds like I'm telling you, she sounds like my mother. Yeah. Well, you know, Angela is um, she's a good-hearted woman who likes to butt in. Um, she sees things, and and you know, Jane got her smarts from somebody. It wasn't her dad. She got it from her mother. So here's Angela. Her husband has left her for another woman. She's in her house a lot in the suburban street where she's lived for 30 years. And she sees things. She looks out her window and she notices the neighbors across the street um, mm-hmm. are a little odd. They don't talk to her. They won't have anything to do with her. And they have, they're putting bars up on their windows. They keep their drapes down. What is going on? And that's, uh, that's really how Angela jumps into the story is, you know, with, if you see something, say something, as the police mm-hmm. will tell you. And um, so she keeps trying to say something to her daughter, Jane who doesn't really want to be bothered. <laughs> well, she goes over to greet them, but they're not very happy to see her. They don't want to know. 
So she gets like yeah. you know kind of cold cold shoulder. They are, she goes over and says, "I'm just I'm Angela. Yeah, I'm gonna bring you something, whatever." And they don't want to know the greens. Oh God. Well, wouldn't that wouldn't that make you a little suspicious? Like what's going on on behind these walls? Yeah. That these people are keeping you away. So no wonder she's curious. Yeah, she gets me. They got me nervous. I'm glad they didn't move across the street from me. I've got enough crazy people out <laughs> here. So tell us about the Scrabble Partners. I used to play that. It's fun. Oh, uh, you know, I love Scrabble, and, and um, it's always me. fun to get together with friends. So, so Angela has this Thursday night Scrabble group um, with three other people in her neighborhood. Uh, two of them are a couple, um, and he's an English teacher, so he's annoyingly good at Scrabble. <laughs> she can't mm. stand it. Plus, he's, he annoyingly knows he's good. Um, so that's the, uh, the couple that plays with them. But the other, the fourth partner is um, a man who is a retired Navy SEAL who likes to pump iron in, his, in front of his window and keeps on flirting with Angela and clearly wants to get a little closer to her. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, that's, that's, her, that's her Thursday night Scrabble group. And um, as they're playing Scrabble, of course, they gossip. That's, they're too much. So there's a missing <laughs> teen, and Angela tells her daughter, but why won't anybody listen? And there's a kid missing, people. Yeah, um, we, a teenager who, uh, well, let's say she's a troubled teenager, and this is the third time she's run away from home. Yeah. So Jane's not too worried. You know, she'll come back, right? Um, but Angela, uh, being Angela, wants to find out what happened to this girl. Um, the parents don't seem to be, I mean, they're upset about it, but um, they don't seem to be as worried so, um, yeah, she sticks her nose. That's another issue that's going on in her neighborhood. I mean, there are a lot of things going on in the neighborhood. That the girl's missing. The people across the street are weird. The Navy SEAL is trying to get into her pants. And, um, <laughs> you know, and, and there's, a, there's a white van that keeps driving by her, her, uh, her, her house. So what, how is this all connected? Is it connected? You'll find out. Well, you've got to read it to find out because I'm not going to tell you. This is like, oh, <laughs> God. And Angela's yeah, like, I, she's really cool. I, I, you know, I've always loved amateur sleuth um, uh, mm. mysteries because these are people who have to work with what they have. They're not cops. They don't mm. have guns. They, they don't have any official business doing this. But they use the smarts in other ways. And that's, that's, our, that's our Angela. you got to love her. So Sophia Suarez is murdered, this, the nurse, so why she's the center of the plot for both Jane and Mora? Do they, they? What is the significance of what happened to her? Why would anybody want to kill a nurse? There has to be a reason. Well, that's a good question. Yeah, that's a good question. She's she's killed in her own home, um, and that mm-hmm. bothers Jane and Mora. Um, she's bludgeoned to death, um, and they can't find the murder weapon. Um, and the mm-hmm. and the window in the kitchen is broken. So. Was this a burglary? Uh, did somebody surprise her as she came home from her night shift? Um, and that—that mm. that is a mystery. It makes it—it it makes it seem like there it might be a robbery gone wrong because there have been a couple of break-ins in the neighborhood. Who knows? You know what scares me is I listen to the news and um, the hospital where I grew up in the Bronx. Somebody came in and just shot people in the waiting room, and then there was another right. one, another hospital. It's scary. I mean, really scary that that these things yeah, happen. Well, it's happening. I mean, it, shoot, it happens in the grocery stores. Uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like there's yeah. any place that's 
particularly safe right now. You know, post offices, factories, office office buildings. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, the country is. I mean, we are we have a violent past. There's no doubt about that. I know. I did a show with an FBI agent last Monday. We talked about guns, gun regulations, why nothing's being done, and as an educator, the safety of kids in schools. It scares me. I mean, my my nephews go, you know, they finished last week. I kept calling um, my cousin every single day to see that, that they were home from school okay. I mean, and they're going to camp, yeah. and I got worried. I mean, you don't know. Yeah, I so, you don't know. I mean, every time every time my, my grandkids go off to school, I just think, oh, please, don't let anything happen to their school. So um, I, guess, it's, I know. It's, it's, a fear. it's a fear we live in because there are so many guns in this country. And you know, my question is, why, why does anybody need an assault rifle? And why does the governor of New York State want to sign a thing for 21-year-olds to have it? Why would they need one? So that's another episode for another show. What is yeah, the significance yeah. of, of the phone calls and the burner phone? Well, um, that's one of the mysteries because here we have this lovely nurse. She's a widow. She, she doesn't. Yeah. She's never law. She's a a good, upstanding citizen who takes care of patients uh, very professionally. Um, and yet, she's making phone calls to uh, what appears to be a burner phone. Um, another mystery that Jane and Mora have to track down. Well, Jane and Mora have a hard time. So, how does she work with Frost? He's cool. And what evidence do they need in order to find a murder scene? I love Frost. I do, too. And, you know, he's he's kind of, well, we call him the Boy Scout because he really, truly is um, a good man, um, a decent man. And he's been having some um, personal problems in the last couple Mm. of books. Um, You know, he was introduced in the very first book in The Surgeon when Jane was first introduced and we know that uh, Barry Frost was married. He is married. He's married. He was married to a law student at the time of, of the first book. Happily married. Always talks about, um, you know, his wife and how smart she is and how proud he is of her. And then about halfway through the series, she left him for a fellow law student. Um, mm. So Barry Frost, we've, we've seen him go to the last few books, um, you know, pretty trying desperately to date again. Um, and not having a very good time of it. I'm always, you know, having horrible dates. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, his, his wife comes back. So they're repairing their marriage. Um, it's clear from this particular book that um, his colleagues don't really like his wife, that um, she's she's kind of a stuck-up uh, woman, very impressed with her own intelligence, and Jane cannot take her. But Barry loves her, so that's how it goes. Now the character that I really like that you introduced, this is a new guy, is the teen Jamal Bird, and he's wondering why he's questioned and what could he do to help. I like this kid. Well, you know, it's interesting. When I was writing that scene, so Jamal Bird is a um, he's a, he he's an African American. I think he's 15 mm-hmm. years old who lives in the neighborhood right down the street from where the nurse was murdered. And um, I was writing that interrogation scene right as um, the uh, the Black Lives Matter um, marches yeah. were going on. And really, suddenly, I think it took – I knew that it was tough being a black man, a black male 
um, dealing with the mm. cops. But all of a sudden, I think it just George Floyd just really made it obvious. And all of a sudden, we're getting all these videos on cell phones, and it really woke a lot of us up. And I think I, I couldn't consider myself woke before, but I certainly was after after George Floyd. So I was writing that scene um, of Jamal being interrogated or questioned gently by Jane, and um, I just was thinking about what is it like to be a boy in that situation, and what is it like to be a white cop in that situation? Um, we're all mm. trying to be more sensitive. So when Jane has to ask the question, "Where were you last night?" You know, when the woman when the woman was murdered, she knows she's going to put him on guard. She knows she will lose the trust of whatever she's built up in the last couple of minutes talking to him. Um, and it's, it's an uncomfortable moment because the mm-hmm. boy's mother is watching the whole thing, and the, and the mom is, you know, she's not stupid. She knows things could go really badly wrong. So this whole, this whole questioning of a teenage um, boy um, ended mm-hmm. up being a lot, a lot more difficult for me to write because I, I think I was just trying to be more sensitive to, to what everybody is going through in that situation. Um, and it turns out that Jamal is, um, he, has a, he has a special talent. <laughs> he's a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, he knows his computers. And uh, because he's also an asthmatic, he spends a lot of time in his, in his room. Um, and he helps. He's kind of like the, the local IT kid for the neighborhood. Um, mm-hmm. Those of us who are older, <laughs> those of us who are older and we've forgotten how to, how to do things with all our remotes. I mean, it takes me four remote controls to turn on my television and I can imagine what it's like for a neighborhood of retirees who don't know how to work their TVs and don't know how to work their phones, their computers. Mm. That's called a neighborhood teenager. Um, and so he's, he has taken that role in this particular street with a lot of retirees. And that comes in handy when uh, Jane is trying to find out more about the victim. Well, he's, he's a handy person to have. But you know what gets me annoyed is that well, I retired early because my mom had Alzheimer's. And I was on the phone with a medical office the other day. I'm going to do something on medical care that's going down, whatever. And the girl on the phone says, do you understand what I'm saying? I go, of course not. Why don't you translate into another language? I was like, <laughs> excuse Yeah, I mean, they talk to you. If you're over 25, they think you're an idiot. If you're over 40, yeah. they really think you're stupid. And and they said, do you understand what I'm saying? I go, no, you want to repeat it? I was like, are you serious? Don't ask what I said next. So, what what is learned? Yeah, from the other nurses, what did the other nurses tell her, tell them about um, the Amy about the nurse that was killed, about Sophia? That she's beloved. That she had no enemies. Um, poor Sophia. Um, she's a recent widow. I mean, her husband died of natural causes uh, a few, mm. a few months earlier. Um, but what we do know, and we learned this from Jamal, is that she needed. <laughs> She needed a new phone. She needed a new computer, excuse me, because her, her other computer was getting kind of old. So Jamal helped her buy a computer. And when everybody asked, well, why does she need a new computer? It turns out that she was doing some kind of online searches. She was, she was hunting around for information, and nobody really knows what she needed, this, what mm. research she was doing. So that's another mm. clue. If here's this victim who got a new computer and is using it, for doing online research. Now, this was interesting. Moira is going to a concert. She's playing in a concert, but she doesn't want Jane to know. 
So tell us, why did she hide it? And what is the link to her stepfather? Because he has something to do with the concert, which I thought was really cool. Oh, yeah. So Mara, you know, I introduced this early in the series that Mara plays the piano um, and that she has a piano in her house. So we've never really used that, but I know that she uh, is probably a pretty good musician because she's accomplished everything she does. Um, and she, it turns out, is playing in a doctor's orchestra. Now, this is not that crazy, a, a, you know, an idea because doctors, by and large, also tend to have taken music lessons. I know a lot of them are very good musicians, and there are big city orchestra, big city hospitals who have um, who have formed doctors' orchestras. It's strictly amateur, but they just get together to play. So um, Mora has been asked to be the piano soloist for their next big concert, and that's what she's been practicing. Um, and she's going to be performing. I mean, as, as a soloist, it's kind of scary. Um, and she doesn't want Jane to know because this is like a part of her life that she would like to keep mm. separate. Also, Mora is, um, she's, she's uh, afraid of being publicly humiliated. She doesn't want to be embarrassed. She doesn't want her friends to know which, if she flubs up. So that's why she hasn't told Jane about the concert. And um, they find out in the course of their investigation through um, just some offhand comments by one of the doctors at the hospital. And, and that's how it comes to Jane's attention, that her friend, a woman she thought was her friend, is going to be a soloist, and she never told her. Well, I, I can identify with Mara because they made me play in, in Carnegie Hall by heart. Oh, 20 pages. I was, like, scared to death. And I had to play Waltz of the Flowers by Tchaikovsky from the Nutcracker. I don't remember uh-huh. how old I was, but I know I got up there petrified and I did it. Except I remember, like, towards the last five pages, I said to my piano teacher, can I please have the uh, music? Because you had to play it by heart. You couldn't play it from, you had to play oh, it by memory. Oh, 20 pages. Oh, no. <laughs> and and yeah, I did it, and I said, the last five pages, forget it. I thought they were going to kill me, but I didn't care. So I understand how yeah. it feels to get up in front of an audience of, a, of God knows how many people, and she's going to do it. So what does Angela right. do to this? Yeah, I know, scary. So what does Angela do to make her new neighbors aware, and how does she enlist her friends? That was so cool, because I would do something like that. <laughs> well, Angela, okay, Angela's first attempt at being neighborly is to bring over some zucchini bread, which she's famous for, and they turn mm-hmm. it down, and pretty much tell her that, you know, go away, lady. Um, so then she decides to go to their next-door neighbor, which um, happens to be the house owned mm-hmm. by the Navy SEAL. And she goes to the, her friend, the Navy SEAL's house, gives him a zucchini bread, um, and peeks over the fence to see um, the new neighbors and, uh, to, and finds out, oh, my gosh, something weird is going on next door. He's putting bars in the windows. Why is he installing bars in the windows, and why does he seem to have a concealed weapon strapped to his waist? The man is mm-hmm. armed and he's bars in his windows. Is he, is he trying to keep somebody out or trying to keep somebody in? So it's one more thing that raises her suspicions. And one more reason she calls up Jane again to tell her they need to investigate. Um, and Jane doesn't want to. She's already talked to the local cops and they just say, don't worry about it. There's nothing going on. Except Angela. People better listen to Angela. So yeah, then she goes. You know, 
I know, it's sad. You know, she knows a lot of things, you know. Mother knows best people. So Well that's the thing that's the whole thing with the story, yeah. Because you know, yeah. I, as we get older, as I get older, I'm looking around at how as women get older we get devalued. Um no one pays attention to us, nobody even looks at us, we become invisible. Um and sometimes they stop listening to us. So that was really a theme of about it's about mothers and daughters and how um, we love our mothers, but we do stop listening to them sometimes, and maybe we shouldn't. No, my mother was was tough, and when I sat and think, thought about it, I always said, how did I survive her? Because everything I did had to be the right way, for her way. Even if it was right, it was wrong. <laughs> and my sister once <laughs> said to me, you know, I don't know if you're in the right family. I think you're adopted because she didn't do it to my sister or my brother. And if I couldn't get 100 oh. on the test, if I got 99.9, I had to write the whole test over. Not until I wrote yeah, my first book. Yeah, yeah, when I wrote My Name is Bertha, I, I wrote it, and my, and my brother-in-law, Jeff's brother, said, you were abused as a kid. She really wasn't very nice to you. And it didn't dawn on me until I wrote it. So, yeah, huh. that, that does happen. So what happened? They lead her to talk to Jackie and Ricky, the teen's parents, but why don't they seem to be upset that she's missing? Yeah, this is about the, the missing teenager in the neighborhood. Um, yeah. And, yeah, so, so Angela it first gets involved because the teen's uh, mother is, is upset. But then something happens. The teenager texts mm-hmm. her father and says, I'm fine. I'm, you know, don't, don't bother me. I'm, I'm fine. And so the family relaxes. They realize, well, maybe our girls just run away again, um, and she seems to be okay because she's texting her dad. Um, and that bothers Angela. It's, it's like, why would she text her dad and not her mom? What's going on here? Yeah. Is it a real text? Somebody take her phone and, and just, you know, give us a, um, give us this to, to make us, to throw us off the chase. So that's why the family um, decides. You know, not to worry about it anymore, and, and ask Angela to stop bothering them about it. So mm. it's another it's another door that's slammed in her face, and she doesn't like it. She doesn't she doesn't like people telling her to mind her own business because she feels the neighborhood is her business. She's right though. What do they learn at the crime scene, and who is Lily, and why is it important? Because she plays a major um, role too, whoever she is. Yeah, so um, one of the things they find out about about Sophia Suarez's, the, the nurse's um, internet searches, at, is that she's looking into a crime that happened years before, mm. you know, almost two decades before. Um, and the crime happens in Maine, and it is a home invasion where a mother is killed and her little three-year-old girl is kidnapped. Um so they don't know why the nurse, you know, here's a nurse in Boston. Why is she looking into a crime that happened two decades ago in another state? Um, and that leads Jane and Frost to go to Maine and start talking mm. to the cops and finding out what happened to that case um, and that the case is never solved. Uh, they never, they know, they think they know who did it. They think they, that, that it was the ex-husband who killed his wife and then kidnapped his own daughter. Um but they can't prove it. So that man is, has been free, even though he's been under suspicion. Um, so that's what Jane and Frost go to Maine to, to find out, is looking at the spot and um, looking at uh, where he, where um, she was murdered. 
So when she goes to the crime scene, what does she see? Does she see anything? They well, what they see is a house where somebody else is living right now, and yeah, um, yeah. We can't tell anybody that. So her mother sees Matthew Green, the neighbor. What does she want to know, and why? What does she see him doing? Well, she sees him. I mean, he's the one who's putting bars up in the windows, and, yeah. and he's the one who had a gun. And so she doesn't, she doesn't know what's going on there. So she um, again tells her her mom, and her mother um, calls up the local police, and the local police say, "Please get your mother off this, off, off you know, away from the group. Mm-hmm. Stop bothering them." So now James and Penny are up because why are the cops saying this? Has my mother become that annoying that the cops want to kick her out? Um, so now Jane's a little suspicious of, of the Greens. What's going on there? There's a lot of mm. there's a lot of mysteries, independent mysteries going on that at first you may not see the connection, um, but by the end you'll realize that they, there's a relevance here to all these various mysteries yeah. happening. So tell us about the phone log and how that sends things in motion. That kid is the helpful. what? Excuse me. The phone log. Oh, the phone log. Well, yeah, because that tells you what what the victim, who the victim has been calling. She's been calling repeatedly to various odd numbers around the state of Maine. You know, a yeah. restaurant, a station. Um, why? And Jane Frost don't know why she would be calling all these random numbers. Um, and that only becomes clear, again, at the end of the story. Well, I'm not going to tell that either. This is this is one of those books that, you know, you just pick it up and just sit down and read. What can yeah, I say? Yeah, but I, so, I think it's, uh, it's, the, the fun thing was putting all these little, it's, there's a lot of moving machinery in this particular book. And um, yeah. even I didn't know how to put it together until the end. So we have a couple of characters, new ones. But first, um, what is the significance of Gas and Go, Buffalo Wings, Restaurant, and the emails? Yeah, those are all things that um, that the victim was look, was calling. She was she's calling a restaurant. She's calling a, a you know a gas station, and um, and the people who answered don't even know what these calls were about because they happened last month. Um, and these are businesses, so they don't remember Sophia Suarez calling them. Again, another another one of these weird mysteries. Why would the victim have been making random phone calls to businesses and doing mm. internet or for blood groups and, and old um and old newspaper stories? Well we have a whole bunch of characters. Who is James Crichton? Who is Joe and Katie? How do they come into this? Well, the the main um I <laughs> The main character there is um, this is the estranged husband of the dead woman in Maine. Mm. Everyone thinks that he is the killer. Um, and where has he gone? He's vanished. So now Jane wonders whether or not he is somehow connected to the Sophia Suarez because one of the calls that she made mm. was to him. Yeah. So, and, you know, there, there are these, these connections that start to come come in together and you, it's like this you know, you you put this wet this net out, and you catch a fish here, you catch a fish there, and you don't know what the connection is between these two fish. But that's 
that's pretty much how Jane and Maura, uh, Jane and Maura are dealing with this this particular case. It's it's a it's a baffling one, and it seems like it's uh, mm. it's made up of disparate clues that have nothing to do with each other until they do. Now this part really upset how she Jane went to the concert, but how come she had to leave? She couldn't stay. She had to leave because her cause she, her mother was calling her with a true emergency. Um, you know that old story about the boy who call, who cried wolf too many times. Yep. And yeah, he's always calling wolf, crying, crying wolf, and eventually nobody listens to him. So here is Angela, who over the course of a couple of weeks has been calling Jane repeatedly with, "You got to come. Something's gone wrong. The neighbors are crazy. The neighbors are there's something with the neighbors." So finally, at the concert, Jane just shuts off her phone. She is her mother keeps texting her, and she ignores these texts. Um, but this is the one time that her mom really needs her. And um, so when she finds that out, she has to jump up and leave the concert and and maybe go to her mother's rescue. I know my mother would do that. She used to call my school and tell them and she needed me to unlock the door because she locked herself out and I had to come home. Oh. Yeah, she would do that, oh, yes. No. Yeah, she did a lot of things that that were hilarious, too. That we can't even talk about. I, I mean, really. So, who is Eloise, and how does it relate to the murder? Um, so, this is the woman who was murdered up in Maine uh, two decades ago. Mm-hmm. She's she's the mother of a three year old, um, and um, it's an unsolved crime. She was apparently asleep in bed. Uh, something must have disturbed her because she gets out and she is found strangled a couple days later. Um, and her girl was missing. So the, the missing three-year-old girl, whose name was Lily, um, has never been mm. solved. They did find a, um, a toddler dead in the area not long after, but it wasn't her. It's just this unnamed, it's still a nameless toddler. So here we are with a, a, a murder that happened 20 years ago, uh, and now we have a murder um, today of a nurse who's been looking into this past murder. Why would she do that? Um, and why would she be investigating blood types? Why would she be trying to reach mm. the main suspect of the murder 20 years ago? So there's, there's a lot of things uh, happening in the story. So Larry is one of her Scrabble partners, right? So what happens yes. when Larry's wife learns a harsh truth about Larry, and how is he hurt? And how does Angelo decide to be brave? Okay, well, yeah, these are her neighbors that play Scrabble with her. Larry is a, uh, he's, a he's an English teacher. He's an annoying English teacher um, who always <laughs> Scrabble. And um, he and his uh, he and his wife live alone. Um, they've been married for a very long time. They have no children. And um, one night, uh, somebody goes into Larry's house and tries to shoot him. And mm. who comes to the rescue? Angela runs in, dashes in, um, and uh, confronts the gunman. And it's that is actually one of the one of the it's, it's a dramatic scene, but it's also one of the funniest scenes. I think. What do you do when your neighbors are trying to kill each other? And that, and it's, that's really what's happening. The neighbors are trying to kill each other. They're so upset with each other. And Angela comes in at the last minute and talks everybody down, and shows just how brave a woman she is. Um, and even, but I think the fun part about that scene is even under pressure, even with a guy holding a gun, 
Angela um, is still vain enough to be um, to be flattered when somebody plays her a compliment in the middle of crisis. So it's um, it's 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 your neighbors it's your neighbors acting crazy and you trying to calm it down. I know how that feels. You never know. <laughs> you just never know. So tell us more about Amy and why she thinks she's being followed. Who is Cemetery Man? So Amy is the voice. She's the the girl in the very first scene. Um, mm. she, gets, she gets hit by a it's a hit and run accident in the very first scene. And um, when we open the story of the murder, it's months later. Amy is recovering. She's still having trouble walking. Um, she's a university student. Um, and when they go to the, she knows the nurse, the dead nurse, because her father was the colleague of the dead nurse. And um, that nurse actually helped helped nurse Amy back to health for you. So when they go to the cemetery for the funeral service for the victim, uh, Amy goes along with her father. And when she's there, a strange man comes up to talk to her. She doesn't know who he is. Um, she doesn't know why he's talking to her. And mm. all of a sudden, he disappears. He, he walks away. So um, now the question is, who, who is this man? Is he a stalker? Is is he the man who hit her with a car at the very first scene? And then she sees him again. She repeatedly sees this man um, in various mm. places in town. Now she realizes she is being stalked by this mysterious man, which they just call Cemetery Man, because that's where he first showed up. Now, before I forget, everybody's going to be disappointed, but what can I say? The 29th on Wednesday... Cindy McDonald with Double Dog Dare, and his wife, the author of A Murder is Not a Girl's Best Friend, his wife had the virus, so we're making up this show on the 30th because I felt bad. And then friends oh, taking wow. off the month of, yeah, I felt so bad when they told me that like an hour before, and they go, no problem, I'll move it, because I never do three in a week, but I felt bad. Like, you know, that's not his fault. So he she's okay now, and then I start back on August 2nd with Finding the Light in the Middle of, of the Year, and then on the 4th, Not Without Sins, and then What Way to End August, Iris Johansson with two books. She wants two on the same show. Face, oh uh, the God. face of, yeah, I know, captives, they better send it to me. And the, the, the face behind the stone is like, she talks about um, a famous, person, Helen of Troy. And it's like, oh. really, oh my God, it's really, it's really good. It's scary. And I didn't get the last one. It's just Jane and Seth, whatever. So tell us more about Moira and the gorgeous priest. I love the priest. Well, <laughs> this is a relationship that's been going on for ah, ever since book number three, uh, Back from the Center. So here we are, you know, Ten books later, and um, the priest, Father Daniel Brophy, he's Catholic, so he can't marry. Um, they've been attracted to each other from the very beginning, and um, but he very strongly believes in his vows, so it's, it's hard for him to break his vows. Uh, and yet, he truly loves Mora, and she loves him, and they have mm-hmm. reached an equilibrium relationship where they 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 do they are lovers. Um, and she has learned to to deal with the fact that, that they can never get married. They are just they just they just care about each other. Mm-hmm. So we will continue to see them um, as a couple. Um, the interesting thing about it is that I get so much I get so much email about this particular relationship 
It mm. is forbidden fruit. Um, Daniel um, is sinning, it's true, um, but he feels tied to his job at the church. And, um, you know, we just have to let people live their lives, I suppose. You know, love who you love. Well, one of the teachers in my school a million years ago was a nun, and she gave it up to teach and to get married. And you know, I don't think that's I said, good for yeah. you. Yeah, um, and, I, you know, I've, I've known people that were in the seminary who uh, decided at the last, yeah. you know, towards the end, this was not what they wanted. And um, I think it's sad that they cannot marry. It's sad that they cannot have a... Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, you know, experience um, everything that humans would want to experience. So it's um, it's unfortunate. I mean, I, Episcopal priests seem a lot happier to me, that's all, because <laughs> they can get married. I hope so. So what is in the cabin that Jane sees, and who's dead? And, of course, Angela. Thank God for Angela. Well, okay, this is um, – uh, we're getting a little close to spoilers here because we're, now we're dealing with things that, that actually become important. Um, mm. But – yeah, there is a because Amy is being stalked. The girl, um, she and her mom uh, run off to hide in a place that they own, and there um, uh, somebody, the stalker, shows up again. And when he is killed um, in self-defense, um, Jane comes out to see the crime scene or the death scene, and um, feels like, okay, my. Um, that that particular case has been solved. The killer is dead, um, and let's. Uh, I'm going to consider this whole thing taken care of. So that's that's what she sees. She she goes to this lakeside cabin, and there's a there's a man who's who's been who's been stabbed, and um, it's supposed to be in self defense. So uh, you know where do you take it from there? But this is not the end of the story. There's still more to the story. You'll oh, find oh, out. And after that is going to be a spoiler, so I can't say much more than that. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, that That's one of the questions at the end. I was hoping this wasn't just by itself. You see, I figured these things out eventually. And I will post the review um, later as soon as my computer lets me. I, I, it's, I have a very strange – I saved the review for Listen to Me 17 times. Seriously? Of course, my phone – my computer has a habit of making things disappear. And then, of oh, course – Oh, that's impossible. Oh, it, it's hard because there was one day that uh, I don't know when the I do, do stuff for partners in crime, and she asked me for a review for two of my book, two of the books. I said I never got the books. If I did, the, my computer hid them. I don't have them. I have to read the books oh. over again eventually. It's, it's horrible. So what happens when the teen shows up, and why did she leave? This is not so hot. <laughs> Well, the teen had a tiff with her mom, and the reason for the tiff um, becomes important to the rest mm. of the story. Uh, yeah, she 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 was never she was never in danger. She um she was she was just missing, and um she, she provides kind of a clue that ends up being central to everything in the story. And um, again, this is a spoiler, so I can't talk about it. You can't tell people, guys. You got to read this, except that. You see, I give away all of my books right after my show, except there's a big pile with a big bag because my dermatologist, who I don't have to visit till whenever, said I have to come every couple of weeks with books for his wife. Otherwise, I can't come. Oh, well, that's great. That's great. 
at least they don't go to the dump. <laughs> no, he he really he called me one day and he said, "Are you coming tomorrow?" I go, "Sorry, I'm gracing you with my presence." He says, "I know you read a lot. Now just keep bringing them." So I've got about the last two weeks. I read about twenty-five or thirty, really. So I've got a whole bunch plus my next door neighbor. Um, she might want this one. I have to ask Clementine if she wants it. She took my um, James Patterson, but she took three more. So that my husband is so happy when that happens. He jumps up and down like, thank God she's getting rid of the books. But my desk has oh, another how- 50 that I have to interview. No one's getting them yet. How many books yet. do you have? I can't imagine how many books you have. Well, you must be getting a lot digitally, though, right? You don't have to have copies? No, I only read print. I'm very funny about that. I can't. It bothers my eyes since that other thing that I told you about before. I literally can't read on my computer, on my phone. It bothers my eyes and everything else. So I've got a whole bunch that are staring at me inside, and I'll get a lot of books that I don't know about. Like a publicist will send me something, and I'll go like, huh, where did you come from? I'm reading one called So Very Mental About Autism. It's interesting. Um, there's another uh-huh. one about golf that somebody sent, and I said, I didn't know I was getting that. Another publicist golf. from another company sent me uh, something called 48 States. And, of course, I have my one of my favorite people, Matt Coyle's book, Doomsday Legacy, which is staring at me inside, and David Putnam, who sent me the book and said, when are you doing this in February? And we got that. I'm, I'm, I'm just taking them for 2023. So, yeah. Well, no one can get overwhelmed. That's a lot of books. It is a lot of books, and it gets on my nerves sometimes because I get nervous because I want to get them done the right way. And my mom used to make me read 10 books a week, seriously, besides Hebrew, Prano, and Violin. So that's part of the problem that I you know, I faced when I was growing up. And I had to take notes on the book, so that's probably why when I read your book, I have it memorized and don't oh, have to even geez. worry about it. <laughs> so oh. when Jane realizes the truth about Sophia's murder, how did you create the final scenes? And what does she do, and how does that change lives? Because that's a real powerful last couple of scenes. Yeah, well, we're getting into spoiler territory again. But it's um, I, all I can say is that something that Angela says to Jane makes the whole solution click together. And Jane realizes she has missed, she has missed the forest for the trees. Um, that there is something that ties every all of this all of these issues together and mm. has to have one final confrontation. Um, and so anyway, that's, that's really how it all comes together is that something that, Aunt, that her mother tells her um, becomes important. Mm. The whole theme about mothers and daughters, mothers and, and, and well, particularly daughters, um, runs throughout the book. It's not just about Jane and her mother. It's about Amy and her mother. It's about mothers and daughters mm-hmm. in general. It's a very complex relationship. I mean, I think back on the fact that I had a, a complicated relationship with my mother as well. Um, you know, Chinese, you probably heard the term, others. Well, that's mm-hmm. a very, I, that's a relevant term for Asian American mothers or Chinese American mothers anyway, is that that, um, requ- that that drive for perfection. They want perfection in their children, uh-huh. particularly their daughters. I think girls catch, uh, you know, catch a lot more um, pressure from moms than, than sons do. Um, and that's, that's something that um, I play around with in the story. I, I agree with you. My mother put pressure on me that I didn't even know. I mean, thank God my grandmother was there. 
course, my grandmother a lot of yeah. times said, you know, you're pushing her to a point that I couldn't even, I used to take a test, and I knew my stuff, and I would have a migraine headache until I got the grade back, because I was scared, because I knew if I came home and said I got 99, I knew I was in deep trouble, I had to write it over, the whole test, until finally I said to her, when I was in high school, I said, you know what, I'm just going to write the ones that I got wrong, because what difference does it make? And, yeah. I mean, she she was tough. I mean, I went to school one day. She didn't like what I was wearing. So she called my principal to tell her I was going to be late because I had to change what I was wearing because she said it wasn't acceptable. Uh, well, that's the oh, yeah. story of me. I was, like, in my mid-40s and um, about to step out to go to a book event. And my mother looked at my dress, which was, by the mm-hmm. way, very expensive and very stylish. And she goes, you can't wear that. The skirt's too short. I'm thinking... I'm 45, Mom. You know, I can wear whatever I mm-hmm. want. But uh, yeah, I mean, what what is it with mothers? They never stop with the uh, with uh, trying to give us advice, even though we feel like it's not appropriate. <laughs> well, my principal called me in when I came in to school, and she said, "If your mother didn't like what you were wearing, what makes you think I would? You're my assistant to the assistant. You have to look like you belong as a supervisor, because I had a supervisory license." And I looked at her, and she was a black lady. I go, "Yes, Ma, you got it." <laughs> She yeah. she was probably the best principal I ever had that taught me not to dress the wrong way. So where do you see Moira and Daniel next? Somewhere I hope. Well, I see them continuing on with their with their you know their their um, interesting relationship. But honestly, um, I'm not looking forward to that. I'm not looking ahead to the next book. I mean, I just I, I these characters are now uh, set aside for now as they work on a different book, and um, I'm not thinking about what happens next. Um, but that's the way it is with every book. I don't think about what's happened, what's going to happen next until they start telling me. They start talking to me, and I'm, I'll just wait until that happens. I wish I could do that, seriously. So where do you see Gabriel? Is he going to get a, a major role in anything? I like him, too. Yeah, he has, um, you know, because the two women have such a... Um, they have such a prominent role in these series. The men, unfortunately, kind of... <laughs> You know, they're yeah. kind of in the back a little bit. Um, Gabriel hasn't been important since Vanish. I mean, he he, he popped yeah, in I know. And out of the story. And now that they have a kid, I mean, you see him interacting with his daughter. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen next. So I can't answer the question. <laughs> the other thing is that you wrote this book very differently than the other ones. How come you wrote each one with a person's name? So it helped me know what I was talking um, about. It's it was different. This is, a, this is a mystery that takes place in various locales, various time periods, and um, and people have different uh, points of view in how the mystery mm. is playing out. So Angela, I wrote in first person because it's really her story, and because her voice was so immediate to me. Um, Amy's part in it is is also very important, but she, again, she's mm-hmm. a different part of the mystery. And then there's the usual Jane Mora um, voices. So yeah, it has four different uh, four different characters whose thoughts we get. I know it was really it was it was very very different, especially the last chapter, which I won't give away, and the last line in the book that just sort of says it all, people. So yeah. <laughs> what lessons do they learn at the end? Because Jane learns a lesson about her mother, and Moira learns lessons. What lessons do they all learn about about their life? And and what does the title say at all? Listen to me. And my mother used to always say that. 
I, I think um, the lesson Jane came to is that her mom is a is a is a um, she's a force of nature, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and that her mother is um, a lot wiser and a lot braver than she ever gave her credit for. And I think that uh, that's something that I came to during the writing of this book is you know, Angela is a force of nature, and she, she's the kind of gal that would be fun to be friends with, but you can only handle her in small doses. Um, I think Maura has just, has just learned to accept um, the state of her romantic life. She's, um, that's the lesson she's learned is that life goes on, and we have to make the best of it um, and love the people we love. Um, and for, for Angela, I think she's, she also has become aware and awakened to her own, her own strengths. And that's, I think she's gaining confidence with every year. She may be almost 60, but she is still growing. I refuse to be any age, ever. Yeah. I, you know, it's really weird. I, I went on uh, Heritage.com just for fun and Ancestry.com, and it lists my sister and my brother as my parents' children, but it leaves me out somehow. I was elected. That, uh, that might be a good thing. Yeah, it, not only is it weird, but we don't talk about my age because I really don't care. And it says I'm younger when I looked it up. And I said, now all I need to do is prove it because you can't change your health yeah. insurance. <laughs> and I said, you know, I, I knew I, I, my mother always said before she died, even before the Alzheimer's became bad, she said, one of these days you're going to find out the day you were really born and what happened to the child that was really you. That's not you. And I thought she was losing her mind. And I said, yeah. And I said, Ma, I thought I was born in this year, which if she tells me I'm younger, I don't care. And it's really weird. And then when people know how old I am, which I would never tell them, they look at me and they go, you really, you, you poor thing. You just look, and I, I mean, the way I dress, I look like a kid. I mean, my hair is, my sister died, like I said, yesterday, the, the heart attack. So on Saturday, I had my roots, my highlights done. They're red. I've got all red, purple, blue, yellow, and pink and green. And the red is for my sister, and the pink is for my mother-in-law, and the blue is for my mother, and purple for Alzheimer's. So how can I look old? Seriously. So um, you have a mystery going on in your family. It sounds like you need to, you know, um, maybe check your DNA and see maybe you aren't even really part of the family. I don't think I want to know. <laughs> I know my sister. <laughs> yeah, my, we went definitely. to a. See, we went to a flea market, and we were with the person she was married to and my husband. And I went up to get a Raggedy Ann doll because I love Raggedy Ann and Andy. She says I'm going to get a Shirley Temple doll. They go, you're going to get a who what? She says, well, you adopted and you never had one, and Mom didn't want to tell you. And she told it to everybody, every booth, every person there. And I said, you're kidding me. She says, no, it's the truth. And I, she never changed what she said. Well, the only the good part about their test was I got everything for free. They felt sorry for me. Oh. I got the dolls for free. Yeah. Oh. I got the books for school. I got everything for free. I said, you know what, what the heck? And she looked at me and says, you know, you really are adopted. I said, it explains why my grades are all A's and you're not. What can I tell you? Huh. I mean, I, and you I, didn't, want, I, I tried, didn't want to pursue that any further. I tried, No, my sis, my brother was born on the day I was supposedly born in September. He was my birthday present for whatever birthday I think it was. I don't even know. And my mother said, I didn't know what to get you, so I got you a brother. 
And she went in on the day before, and she told the doctor she wasn't giving birth till the next day, and she didn't. She refused to let them do anything until he was born. My and I had to share him, got to take care of him. So how do how does where do you where, what's next for you, and when am I getting it? Um, well, I'm I'm finishing up a book right now. In fact, I'm I'm sitting here at my desk looking at the manuscript, um, and it's um, it's it's not a Jane Rizzoli a Rizzoli and Isles uh, book. It's mm-hmm. about um, I live in this this odd little town, well, this beautiful little town in Maine, where um, mm-hmm. there, we have like five thousand people, and um, it came to our attention, my husband and me, that we have a lot of retired spies here. Um, so I was just kind of curious about what happens to retired spies. Do they get together? Do they have cocktail parties? Or what, what, what mm. is it like, you know, to, to disappear into the woods with history? Um, and so oh, nice. with um, one of the women's spies, who's now 60-something, um, finding a dead body of a young woman in her driveway. And she doesn't know whether this is related to her work two decades earlier um, and whether this means that somebody's coming after her. So that's that's the uh, that's the premise. Spies working together as friends. <laughs> when is it coming out? Do you have an idea? No, I have to finish it first. So it's um it's it's getting close. It's pretty close. You have to tell me so I can put you in my schedule, which is yeah, fully well, until at least a year from now. So. Oh, that one more safe then. I, I'm telling you, my I can't believe this. I am. I have like one more date left in November, and I'm looking into December already. And who knows what wow. partners in crime is going to? I, you know, let me tell you, it's amazing because of what's going on in this horrible world. Everybody wants an interview, which is great. Makes it so much easier for me, you know, just to do this from my computer, staring at me, saying it's good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. it's it's horrible in the fact that. I was invited to the Thriller Fest because of me, because of the media. And I didn't go because I was afraid to go to the Sheridan. And no one was wearing masks at this at this thing, so I didn't feel comfortable. Otherwise, I would have been oh. there. Well, I didn't go either. I'm, 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 you know, I don't like to be in enclosed spaces with lots and lots of people, even, you know, um, even now that, that the numbers are going are getting better. Uh, I'm not sure when we're ever going to be recovering to back to normal um, when we you know, when we used to get parties. But, um, I mean, I'm still wearing masks on airplanes. I wear a mask wherever I go. I wear it yeah. in the hall. And my cleaning service, God bless them, came at 7 this morning, and I wear a mask when they're in the house. But I leave. I don't stay yeah. there when they're cleaning because I don't even worry about it. But uh, where can everybody get everything you've ever written? Um, they can go to the usual places, you know, BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon, Amazon.com, and um, IndieBound.com. So they are. This one certainly will be available everywhere. Well, thank you so much. And those people that haven't read my last book, I don't know why you haven't read it. Population Zero of a World Without People. I created odd, crazy worlds of ice and stone and glass and dark forests and stuff, and I invited a dead person to come back and experience the world so that they would realize that the one we live in is beautiful. Nobody got it. So sad. Oh, well, I I I just thought it was different. What can I say? 
And yeah. I want to thank you so much. This is this has been so much fun. It just brightened my whole day. <laughs> everybody, everybody, stay safe and be careful. Wear a mask and do something kind for someone. And when I walk in the street, I say good morning, and they look at me like I'm crazy. But I come from the South Bronx, so I say good morning to people. Tess, thank uh-huh. you so much. Everybody have a great day. Stay safe, and bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.